This is Eric Nevlin, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair, and it's that time once again as the Whites return to action as we prepare to travel to Everton on Valentine's Day this weekend. Feeling the love in the room tonight are Morgan Cowson and Mr Love himself, Don Love. And we've got a fair bit to get through, including a look ahead to the game, plus Baldo joins me for an in-focus chat about Simon Davis. So let's get right on with the show. Fulham. All right, guys. So let's try something a little bit different this week, because I think everybody's bored to death of talking about formations. Everybody's bored to death about talking about players. And I think everybody's probably bored to death about hearing about it as well. So we find ourselves in a position where we're staring down the barrel of the championship right now with two very difficult fixtures in Everton away and Burnley away coming up in the next week. So we thought we'd have a bit of fun instead of just treading over the same old ground again and again. So let's talk about what us as supporters really love about being in the Premier League. And this can be either under normal circumstances when we can go to the games or in the current climate or indeed both. So, Morgs, let me come to you first. Yeah, so in terms of being in the Premier League, it's, you know, from the overall club perspective, obviously financial security is the big one. When you drop out of the Premier League, you're kind of uh, running the gauntlet a bit. When you're in the Premier League, you know you've got 120 million quid coming your way every season just on the TV rights. And it's... I don't know, you know, it, we never used to care about this stuff. Even back in the day when we were treading water financially, it's, it didn't really bother us. It just was part of the charm. But now it's when you see the likes of Berry and, uh, you know, even Bolton and other teams sort of disappearing. I mean, obviously Bolton didn't disappear, but very close to. It's, you realise that the finances are integral to a club now. And it's... It's a bit scary when you see it, and it's you don't want to be le- um, in a position where the club could potentially go under because you haven't been in the Premier League for X amount of years, or you've overspent, which clearly we have in the past. So there's it's the financial security is the big one. Coverage, I mean, these days, I, I, when I lived in Australia, it was great. You could watch every single game on TV, but over here, obviously, you, it was a bit sort of uh, mix and match really when you could. But now, obviously, in these COVID times, you can watch every game. Uh, obviously, we'd love to be there, but given the circumstances, this is the next best thing. And I guess one of the things that we think about in terms of the championship, you know, we're competitive in the championship, but we could be competitive in the Premier League. You only have to look at Villa to realise that you only have to be in for a season to establish yourself back in the league to then build on that. And surviving one season in the Premier League is a way of building a really solid foundation for moving forward. So there is that ability to be competitive in the best league in the world, as long as you can survive one season. And that doesn't come from being a yo-yo club. A yo-yo club is the worst thing for this because you will never get stability and you will always be struggling against FFP or attracting players that'll keep you up. Or, you know, as we're in a situation now, we can't spend money because, you know, God forbid in four months' time we'll be back down at the championship where we can't afford to. So I think overall it's just a better uh, – it's better for the future of the club and, you know, general excitement around being in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to focus on us as supporters. And, OK, obviously the finances kind of facilitate – everything that we enjoy as supporters. But Don, let me let me just bring you in here because Morgs touched on something there and he talked about media coverage. What's the coverage like in the States, Premier League versus Championship? So when, when I really started following Fulham, it was really hard here in the United States as an American to be able to see the match, let alone highlights of the match. There, there just wasn't a lot of coverage. I want to say it wasn't until like 2010 until it was a combination of like ESPN and uh, Fox Sports that picked it up and started premiering the games. But again, it was whoever the BBC or uh, uh, what is the your major one over there, Sky Sports, chose and said, hey, this is the one you're getting uh, being, going to be allowed to broadcast. We didn't have a choice. Now, nowadays, 
you know, everybody seems to be having a platform online that you can, you know, sign into, log into, be a member of, and you can pretty much almost get every match you want. Uh, you know, 2014, when we went down to the championship that first time, when we first initially went down, my very first thought was, how am I going to get to see the matches? How am I going to get to see the games? And I think at that time, I believe it was uh, BN Sports here in the United States who picked up the championship rights. But again, they weren't doing every match. So I will give credit to the cons. Uh, I know people never seem to want to give them credit for anything. They came up with the FFC TV. And via that, people like me, we were able to catch most of the games either through them or through BN Sports uh, here in the States. Nowadays, um, on uh, NBC, you know, is, is the main one. And I believe they've got the rights through next season for the Premier League. If we were to drop down the championship, it's not that big a deal right now because ESPN has those rights. And again, I belong to those two different apps so I can get all those matches. I will say what's getting irritating is every freaking sports network has started here in the United States, at least their own platform. So if you want to see all the games, you got to belong to like several different platforms. Like right yeah. now, I'm not getting any hardly of the Champions League because CBS picked it up. Well, I don't want to have to join another platform and check out another bunch of money per month or per year. So from that aspect, I, I would say nowadays it's not a big deal for an American, at least for the most part, to go between the NFL, or, I mean, the uh, NBC and, and ESPN to get both the championship and the premier league. So. But do you get every, do you get every game of the championship on NBC or whatever? So can you choose like, the way like, it works, at least the last time we were in the, the championship, the way it worked is again, not every match was broadcast by BN sports at that time. It was BN sports. Now it's ESPN ESPN. If you go onto their app, uh, the ESPN uh, streaming app, on your computer, at least. Yes, you can get pretty much every match. Uh, and you can get the highlights within 12 hours, you know, the full replay and everything. Um, and again, if it's not broadcast, you usually because it's in the championship, FFC TV, Fulham seems to be able to pick up the rights and be able to watch them. So, you know, if this had been 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd have been screwed. I'd, I'd be begging you guys for updates. I'd be on Friends of Fulham on the the, the daily, you know, uh, match uh, thread and trying to figure out what's going on, or listening, you know, to Gentleman Jim and stuff. So, which I still frequently do. What about other other benefits of being in the Premier League then, as a supporter? What else is there? Like for me, I guess there's kind of the bragging rights with your your mates and being part of that elite twenty teams in um, in England. But it just doesn't seem to be for very long at the moment. And also then you've you've got a, a better pick of higher standard players in theory if you get your recruitment right. And then also the chance to, to chance to upset the likes of, you know, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp, for example, wasn't particularly happy when we managed to grind out that one one all draw with Liverpool before Christmas. But that was probably a good result for him because they can't they can't seem to beat anybody at the moment. So but how how does it sit with you, Don, in the Premier League? A couple of things. Uh like you mentioned, number one, there there's usually a well, there is a lot better quality in the Premier League. I mean, it's the league you want to be in. If you were looking to be in the top quality league in the world right now, you know, I still consider the Premier League to be the league. Uh, but I got to say, there's still a lot of quality in the championship. And it's kind of fun watching the championship and seeing different new faces or fresh faces that you're like, oh, that guy's actually pretty damn good. He's going to get scooped up in the future or he's he's going places. So, you know, there is that uh, – for me, the big thing between the two is your team, despite its qualities, not only has to be have, have good quality, it's got to have stamina. And the reason I say that is because the Premier League, you know, you've got your set amount of games, but the championship, God bless, you have two, sometimes maybe three games a week. You've got grind out results, and it is just brutal. So that's another it's been big like that difference. Recently, to me. Hasn't it? I mean, yeah. the Premier League's been the same. Well, the Premier recently. League has, but this year but in the past you know we didn't have to do that Premier League, you're like oh i got a week to plan yeah you know in the championship you were like oh you got a day and a half two days maybe you know for a lot of these games so that's Which, another I big mean, one for me if you look at it as well i mean the players in the championship 
in theory, shouldn't be as fit as Premier League players. And so that is, you know, you should be seeing worse quality of football based on the fact that some of these, uh, you know, the older players especially, will be sort of dragging their asses on the floor by about sort of, you know, December time because they've had to work so hard. But the actual quality of the championship and is, you know, improved exponentially over the last 20 years. Um, but you still want to see the best players. And, you know, even ever since we went up to the Premier League in what, 2000, 2001, and it's, what was it, 2001 or I can remember. And, you know, you do get to see some extraordinary players that you just don't see in the championship. You see maybe some young players who then go on to be top quality Premier League players, but you don't get the, I guess, the Agueros, you don't get the, you know, back in the day, the Ronaldos, the Beckhams, or uh, the Henri's and stuff. And that's what we are very fortunate to be able to see. Um, or, you know, yes, it's on TV at the moment, but these are the players that are, we're very uh, lucky to have in the league. And, you know, in all respect to championship players, it's not the same thing. And so you want to be in the top league and, you know, you want to have the chance to be able to sign some of these players and you, you just don't have the competitiveness to be able to do so or the budgets, obviously, when you go down. And I think if we, you know, as supporters, we want to see the best football. We want to see the team, our team do uh, as best as they can. And whereas, you know, we might see us go up from the championship, that's still not in the top 20 of the Premier League. So I think, you know, that's where you want to be because you want to be one of the best, even though it can be quite fun being in the lower leagues. But if you're in the Premier League, you don't want to be relegated three seasons in a row because those three seasons are going to be diabolical. And that's what we're staring the staring down the barrel of right now. So let's come on to the championship and let's talk about what we like about being in the championship because we posted this question into our team chat earlier, didn't we? And there was... There was a lot of love for the championship, or there were lots of positives that people were drawing out the out the championship. And all I could really take from what we enjoyed about being in the Premier League was the financial aspect and the quality. But when your team doesn't have that quality, when it's down the bottom and it can't score goals, it's not that enjoyable. I'm not enjoying this season, for example. You know, it's it's nice that we're we're getting a few points here and there by drawing some games, but it's not entertaining to watch. And I personally, I mean, all right, last last season wasn't great either, but we've had some we've had some good times at a lower level. So let, let's talk about the positives and what we enjoy about being in the championship. I'll come to you, Don. Okay, a positive for me. When I've come to, over to visit and, and seen some matches, okay? Something I actually like, and I think a, a lot of you guys uh, actually appreciate it too, most Americans follow, you know, the big teams, you know, your Man City, United, Chelsea, and all that other crap. They want to go to the big matches. They want to go to the big stadiums. I actually like the smaller stadiums. The seem to give off a better atmosphere to me. Uh, I, I just, it, it's more intimate to me. So I love the cottage. Absolutely love the cottage. And I've been to Brentford and I've been to QPR. And so for me, uh, I like the smaller stadiums. Uh, and I have to say, I also liked when we were in the championship, the, the prices. The prices to go to a game in the championship, one year it, it allowed me to take my son and several of his mates and be able to afford to, to take them to an actual match, um, which they just thoroughly loved. You know, So the prices are a big deal too. Uh, and actually, because they were all under the age of 16 at that time, they were like cheap. Uh, I want to say like five American dollars or something, uh, a, a match. So it was like nothing for, for a, a child. So stadiums, locations, you know, seeing different places and the prices. Th- those were huge for me. How about for you, Morgs? I think what I like about the championship is that every single game, no matter what you know level of the league you're in, is winnable. You know, it's... Yes, we're seeing some fairly sort of uh, mixed results in the Premier League this year, but every championship game, even if you're on a bad run of form, you're coming up against first or second in the league, there is a chance that you can win it. It's so competitive. And that is just, you know, it just adds excitement of that league. Sure, the quality often isn't as good, but when you're actually in the ground, 
it's still exciting. And, you know, you as a neutral, you may not watch, you know, Rotherham versus Barnsley. But if you're, you know, watching Fulham versus Sheffield Wednesday, you know that it's going to be probably, you know, a highly competitive, exciting game. And if you're, you know, as you sort of said, if you're 18th in the Premier League and you're playing, you know, whatever it is, Man City, you just know you're on a hiding to nothing. And so I think that's kind of where the championship is better for the fans because it is a spectacle. For And you can go into the ground not going, oh, God, we're going to lose this one again. You're actually going to go in and go, hey, we've been on a bad run of form, but today's the day we turn it around. And I think it's, you know, as I said, it's the hope that kills you, but it's the, the fact that you are able to go into every game optimistic, even if you are out of form, even if you are on a bad run of results. And I think that's, you know, that's what football's about. You want to be able to go into games optimistically and looking forward to it because at the end of the day it is a day out it is you know it's fun it's what you want to be doing you don't want to be dragging yourself along to a game every day going why am i doing this now you know i've just spent you know in the premier league i've just spent 50 60 quid on a ticket and i know that i'm going to be disappointed at the end of it you spend 20 30 quid tops in the championship and you know you know whatever happens there's a good chance that it's going to be a, a good game and so i think that's something that we miss uh, from being in that league. Um, still wouldn't trade it for the Premier League, but it is one of the positives. And uh, other big one, don't get the BT commentators because they don't have the rights. And that's <laughs> one of the big things that's been tried. Ian Dark, can't stand him, but you know we have to put up with him in the Premier League. Don't have to deal with him in the Championship. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I was, I was going to bring up the atmosphere, actually, in, in the grounds because I think that... Okay, in the in the championship, I suppose the stadiums aren't always full. Um, we we had uh, a unique experience last season for Fulham, really, in the championship, where the ground was pretty much full every week. But that was because we didn't have the Riverside stand available. But generally, in the championship, you know, there's there's empty seats, whereas you don't get that in the Premier League. But what what you do get in the championship is less supporters who turn up just for the day. Um, so it tends to be the you know the the real hardcore supporters who who really want to get behind the team. And also in the championship as well, there's there's more there's almost more to play for. There's more of a goal, let's say. Um you're kind of looking up and you know you've always got that opportunity, even if you're mid-table at Christmas, you might still make the playoffs if you put a little run together between um between Christmas and the end of the season. And there's there's always that element of that to play for. Whereas in the champ uh, sorry in the Premier League it's always almost split into three or four leagues, isn't it? You know, the league, people fighting for the for the title, people fighting for Europe, and then you've got the people down the bottom who are fighting to stay up, and then everybody else. So for me, that that isn't that fun. It's just almost like, I don't know, it, it's it's something to aim for. But once you're there, you're, you're always looking beneath you, thinking, oh, how long before we drop out of this division? Um, and also a benefit of the championship is no VAR. I think it's appalling. I can't stand it. <laughs> it will be there eventually. You, it's only a matter of time before the championship takes I, I thought it was scheduled here in the next season or two. Oh, they know. got goal line technology, didn't they? Which is fine. I'm perfectly fine with that because, you know, it's just a robot telling you, yes, it's over the line or it's not. But yeah, I mean, VAR, I mean, just watching it, watching the games, and it, it does take away that excitement, doesn't it? And it's until it's instantaneous. It won't work. It doesn't fit the uh, the model of watching football. It's fine for NFL. It's fine for cricket and tennis and all that. It doesn't fit football. And, you know, yes, the championship officials are far worse than the Premier League ones. But, you know, we know that it's, you know, the errors are human errors in that. And they're not being analysed over and over again. And then we find that they give the wrong result anyway. At the end, or the outcome at the end of it. So I think, yeah, until they get VAR right, everyone is just going to be saying, oh, this is crap. But maybe yeah. one day they will get it right. You know, it's only two seasons into it. It's I'll, still I'll, early days for it. I'll but, tell you one, one other thing, Frenchie and, and uh, Morgs, that uh, I really like about the championship is there are more American players that have been given, a, uh, currently at least, opportunities to play in the championship than there are in the Premier League. 
Now, over the years, several of those players actually started out at a Premier League team and they either got relegated or, you know, they got sold off to a championship team. But still, as an American, if we're looking at our players that are being developed, more opportunities have happened in the championship than they have in the Premier League. So that's a plus does a, for me. Does a, does a championship American player get coverage? Does he does he raise the awareness of the game over here, or is it just a so you, know, you got to be a be... hardcore American fan, okay, of the of the game, in order to really know where these different players are playing, okay? Uh, especially now, we've actually got oh my god, 20, 30 guys around Europe playing. So you really got to be in the know and constantly following these guys to know where all these different players are. I personally follow the guys that are in England more than I do in Europe. Uh, whether it's Germany or France or wherever. But for me, and I'm not trying to be mean as an American to the MLS, but the championship is a step up in my mind from the MLS still. Okay. The MLS is improving every year in quality. Okay. Uh, You know, thanks to the likes of like Beckham and stuff, starting more and more teams. But if you're, an American who's really looking to develop your game and you want to get into the U S side, the national side, you're going abroad. And even if that's in the the championship, those players, they do get pulled in to the national squads. So for me, there's that there's the development side of the U S players. Speaking of the development side as well, though, I guess had we been in the premier league a few years ago when Ryan Sessegnon was breaking through, Ryan Sessegnon would not have got the chance that he got to play in our first team, well, certainly not at the age of 16. Um, so so that was a real positive. I guess that was more circumstances about where we were at the time when a very good player was just coming through and he was ready. But arguably, if we were in the middle of a Premier League season, then who knows what would have happened to Sess. He probably would have got sent out on loan and um, would, certainly would never have had the, the Fulham career that he had, that's for sure. Anyway, let's um, let's move it on. Um, and just something else I wanted to do really quickly for a bit of fun. If you could bring back one former Fulham player in their prime to get us out of the mess that we find ourselves in at the moment, who would you choose and why would you choose them? Don, you first. Okay, so I actually uh, I posted this question on both Twitter and Friends of Fulham, okay? And, you know, I put out four different things that were the criteria for me. If you're going to bring back an ex-player, you know, I wanted a player who, number one, was going to be a fighter, okay? Someone who would give 110% every match. Number two, I wanted someone who could motivate the current team and really fire them up, get 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 the fire back in their belly, you know, and ready for the fight. Uh, number three, I really wanted someone who could help with the goal scoring, because that is a huge thing right now for us. And number four, I really wanted somebody like, especially in the midfield, who could help speed up the play, find that, oh my God, through ball or that chip or something that made things happen in the final third or led to going goal scoring opportunities. Okay. So I got all kinds of responses, you know, everybody from the old time classic names like, you know, Les Barrett, uh, you know, King Rufus, um, George Best, you know, Johnny Haynes, those kind of things. But later, earlier, more current for me, names that were thrown out was Dembele, you know, Mark One, the first one. Um, Obviously, uh, Clint Dempsey and Brian McBride, you know, those are some of the newer ones that obviously could, in their prime, we could throw in this team and they'd definitely be up for the fight and help us. But I got to say, from a personal perspective, the one that I would pick is Danny Murphy. And for me, you know, Danny Murphy is one of those players, a lot like, you know, uh, Brian McBride was and stuff, just no nonsense. Always came out 110%, always had that fire in his belly, ready to fight, always firing up the team, you know, getting them, uh, if they were down, back into the game, always had that killer instinct to find that nice pass, that nice chip, or, or make something happen. So for me, He's got to be the guy. Now, on a different note, the other reason I would like to, I would pick him to bring back, and this could be in a different aspect. Let's talk about maybe coaching and on the practice field. What better guy could you think of being on the actual practice pitch 
instilling confidence in these guys, getting them, you know, to fire up, get organized and everything. So if you're also talking about a player that came back and maybe helped from the coaching aspect, again, I think Danny Murphy is a perfect candidate. I think that's a fair shout. Danny Murphy works for the BBC on Match of the Day these days. And I think it's um, those those players that, that go straight into punditry and they get a nice little cushy number. It's, you know, the, the, the paychecks kind of write themselves whilst they're there. Whereas, you know, in um, in football management, the jobs, are, you know, don't necessarily last so long. And, you know, uh, if I was Danny Murphy, I'm not so sure I'd... I'd I'd want to leave the BBC at the moment. I'd probably think I know what side my bread's buttered on. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang around there and keep keep collecting the money for talking shit, basically. I mean, but you you would yeah. think this, you would think the fact what you're saying there is that Danny Murphy should come in and uh, be the influential player, but at the same time, he's kind of similar to Scott Parker in that sense. I mean, Scott Parker should be doing that job. And he should be the one that's geeing him up. I know as a head coach, he needs to do tactics and stuff like that, but they're quite similar in how they captain teams. And so, you know, you want the fire of Danny Murphy in Scott Parker, but we know that Scott Parker had that fire back in his playing days. So you kind of need him to start, well, I'm sure he is, but he's, you know, it's not quite working yet. So you need you need the Parker fire from his playing days really on that team now. No, just just for clarification, okay, too, so we don't get any tweets or notes or PMs, whatever. I am not saying that Parker is doing a bad job. I'm not saying Parker doesn't fire up the team. I'm not saying that Parker doesn't uh, still have the confidence of the team in the locker room, okay? I'm just saying, if there was a person I could see, Parker reached out and said, hey, would you mind coming in and helping a little bit? I could see Danny Murphy. Well, we're talking about Danny Murphy, the player, anyway. Let's let's not go down the uh, the managerial side because we've done that to death, and that's what we wanted to avoid tonight. So let's move on. The player for me that I would bring back is Steve Malbronk. I think he is everything that our midfield lacks at the moment. Creativity, scores goals. L- looking at the players that have scored goals from midfield for us this season, Tom Kearney's got one. Loftus-Cheek's got one. There's nobody else. Nothing for Lamina, Reed, Onima, Angisa. Two goals all season. Steve Malbronk, over his six seasons, he played 206 games for us and scored 38 goals, which is an average of six goals per season. And in total, he made 336 Premier League appearances, including both for us, Spurs, and for Sunderland. And he got 55 assists during that time as well. And that's something we're really lacking. We're lacking goals, so obviously we're lacking assists. He linked the attack and the midfield. He could dribble. He could play either on the right or right in behind the strikers. And he could also score penalties. But he was also able to pick that pass out. And I think that his kind of energy, enthusiasm and drive from midfield is something that would really benefit us this season. And it would be it would be worth a load more goals, that's for sure. How about you, Morgs? Who would you pick? I mean, I try to think of someone from back in the day as opposed to sort of, you know, 21st century. But the one player that I kept coming back to was Louis Sahar. He's exactly what we're missing in that striker position. And, you know, when we were looking, when we were talking about strikers that we needed to try and sign, it was someone who was quick, who could finish, who could do pretty much everything. And Sahar fitted that mould beautifully. And we haven't, you know, we don't have that type of player. You know, Mitro could be, but he's not quick enough. He sort of, you know, Josh Madger, we have no idea. Um, and we have no other striker. Uh, I mean, Cav, he's got the, because he's got, he hasn't got the pace either, he has anymore, or the finishing ability. But Louis Sahar is that exact player that we need. And if he was here in peak form, I don't think we'd be anywhere near the issue. Uh, the, position that we are at the moment so Sahar is definitely uh, the player that I go for well let's bring all three back and I mean to be honest why not they're only in their 40s yeah good point right let's come on to Stato stats then Morgs what have you got for us Uh, so just looking at Everton's stats for this season um, looking at their points per game I mean they've dramatically improved from last year uh, they're on 1.6 goals per game this season as opposed to 1.2 last year. Uh, and they've also tightened their defence. They're at 1.3 per... So they've actually uh, 
despite having fewer goals conceded per game, they've actually kept clean sheets in only 19% so far, as opposed to 24% last season. But obviously, you still got, you know, 16 games to go or so of the season. So that could improve as they move forward. Um, they've dramatically improved in Carlo Ancelotti's first full season. Uh, and uh, yeah, as I said, they've kept fewer clean sheets, which is slightly strange, but I think they started the season particularly strongly and sort of tailed off a little bit, but I think they've picked up their form again now. So uh, only four of their 11 wins this season have come at Goodison Park. Um, they've only picked up 14 points at home compared to the 23 that they've uh, picked up away. And um, four of the six losses have come at Goodison uh, and only two away. And they haven't won at home since 19th December when they beat Arsenal 2-1. Um, they've played three games since, two losses and a draw. Maybe there's that chance to end the hoodoo. You know, we've, we don't do well at Goodison, so maybe this is a chance. And obviously this comes back to does the lack of fans in the stadium make a difference? You'd have to think, yes, it does. Um, 76% of their games this season have resulted in over one and a half goals scored by either team. Um, and both teams to score have uh, happened in 62% of their games at home, or overall, actually. Looking at their points, average points, Unsurprisingly, this is their best season since 2013-14. They're 12 points better off at this stage, stage than they were last year. Uh, they're currently four points worse off than they were in 2013-14. Um, but so are we. And uh, when we went down 2013-14, we were four points worse off than, than we are now. It didn't end well then, obviously. But um, 62% of their goals at Goodison this season have come in the first half. And uh, 60% of their goals that they conceded have come in the second half. So, you know, if we're one nil down at half time, don't fret. We'll probably, there's a 60% chance we'll score in the second half. And no team has scored more goals from inside the six yard box than Everton in the league. They currently have 15 goals and uh, guess who's bottom with one. Yeah. That's unsurprisingly. And no more, uh, no team has scored more headed goals than Everton this season. Uh, 10 of which, uh, 10 of their goals have come from their uh, players' heads. And uh, we're currently 15th in that regard with just a measly four. God, are we really four points worse off than we were in the 13-14 season at this stage? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but that's, you know, we've had one manager as opposed to the seven we'd had by this point uh, in 2013-14. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> swings around that. God, God. All right, let's have a quick look at the player stats for Everton then. Uh, in goal, they've got England goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. He's played in 17 out of the 21 games this season. He averages 2.8 saves per game and he's made a catalogue of high-profile errors this season. Um, they've also got Swede keeper Robin Olsen, who's played the other four games and could come in if Pickford isn't back to full fitness. In defence, they've got Michael Keane, another England player, He's missed just one league game for the Toffees this season. Uh, he's having a very good season under Carlo Ancelotti and is finally looking like the defender that everyone rated so highly when he was younger. Uh, he averages 4.4 clearances per game and he'll be a tough presence to get past. So possibly chance for Alexander Mitrovic to play. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Scott Parker. Um, French left-back Lucas Digne is continuing to be one of the most effective fullbacks in the league. He's currently got six assists to his name. No Everton player has got more assists than him this season. In midfield, they've got the Colombian playmaker, James. He's been a superb signing for Everton, as everybody probably expected he would be. He follows Carlo Ancelotti around wherever Ancelotti goes. He's currently got five goals and three assists in 15 games for them, but he's very influential and is key to Everton's form this season. On the more defensive side of things, they've got Allen. No one in the Everton side makes more tackles per game than him. Uh, 3.4 on average, or concedes more fouls, 1.8 on average. In attack, very high profile. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is currently having the best season of his career so far. He's 23 years old and has got 13 goals in 20 games so far for Everton, which is an excellent return and probably more than anybody would have expected him to get. He's already equaled his tally from last season and will be almost certain to add more before the end of the season. 
Eight of the 13 have come from within, within the six-yard box. Five of those 13 have been headers and seven have been with his right foot. Richarlison is also a player to keep an eye on. Signed for 50 million quid uh, a couple of years ago from Watford. He's got two goals and three assists. Um, he's had an injury play season so far and is yet to reach his full form. So that's the stats. Has he? Has Richarlison only scored two goals? I kind of thought he'd scored far more than that. I know he's been injured, but they were scoring so many goals at the start of the season that I kind of uh, thought he'd uh, bagged a few. Apparently not, because, I mean, we can't, you know, Stato is the, the god of stats, as we all know. So, exactly. hey, uh, one, one thing I was just, while you guys were doing the stats, I was just Googling this and looking everything up. Uh, you know, going on right now is the Everton-Tottenham game, and Everton's down 1-0 to Tottenham. But uh, the interesting thing is that uh, their manager announced that both Rodriguez and Pickford were not getting their late fitness checks passed. And so he's doing a late assess- assessment of them for the Tottenham match, and he's left them out of the squad for that day. Okay. Well, Could it ca- carry over? Could it carry over? I'm guessing if they were actually having fitness tests, then they must have been pretty close to, you know, fitness. Well, uh, I- they're not going to risk it in a cup game. So I think, you know, it's more likely that they're just being caught, uh, you know, all right, can you stop out. right there? Can you stop right there and just let me fucking reach for whatever little hope I can anywhere I can find it? <laughs> I thought you were getting actually angry there for a minute, Don. God, <laughs> you're crushing my dreams, my hopes. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it'll be fine. They'll be injured. And then uh, Cavalier is going to get injured tonight as well. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, there you go. Fine. You happy now? <laughs> that, that couple more, couple more Everton stats that um, that I looked up the other the other day. Um, they've lost just once in six games. Um, their next games after us are Man City at home and Liverpool away. So they will definitely be looking to pick up points in this one because that's going to be a couple of tough games for them. Um, Don, let me come back to you. How would you line up for this one, really quickly? Then, okay, really quickly, and not going into super depth of why and you know whatever. Uh, again. I actually liked the last team that Scott put out with the exception of I still don't get, I know everybody said he had the best game in the second half, Loftus-Cheek. Um, I still don't get why he's in the lineup. So for me, that's one that I would leave out um, personally. Would you, would you start with Cavalero then? I would. And the reason being is just because he works so much harder in my mind than Loftus Cheek does. And I, I just, I, I love his work rate. At least he busts his ass the whole time. Um, and if you notice in other games, he will easily slide over to that left-hand wing and allow Lookman to slide more in and play off with hopefully Metro if he was starting. So there's that for me. Now, the other thing I'm really hoping is, our jo- guy, Josh, he's got to be fit at some point. Uh, maybe he could at least get a nod, you know, and he becomes like a second pl- striker that plays off of uh, Metro or maybe he plays up top. I, I don't know. But... No, you can't You can't call anyone Josh anymore because we've got two. So which one are you talking about? Uh, Mr. Magic, come on, or Maja. Uh, so at any rate, I think the back four kind of picks itself. The only thing maybe different you do and this has to do with, if you everybody recalls, there towards the end of the last game, uh, Harrison Reed was kind of pulling up and you know holding his back uh, hamstring there a bit. Hopefully there's no problems there. He's able and fit because I really think he's just a machine that we really do need on the pitch right now. If we had more people fighting like he did, playing as hard as he did, I think we'd be not in this relegation battle at all right now. But if he's not fit, then I would just, you know, Tate slides up. Uh, and Gisa is on the bench again for me. I'm not going into why. I just not going there. I would have Lamina instead. And uh, in the back, you know, you bring back in Iana. So the rest of it, I think, just picks itself. Obviously, you got to have Bobby on the field. I'm sorry, he's our number one scorer again. I think he's done great coming back and helping with the defense. So I think the team pretty much picks itself right now, as far as I'm concerned. How about you, Morgs? Disagree with any um, of that? Yeah, all of it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, for for this for this game. I'm going uh, back to our back three, stroke back five. 
I think you know you've got to be very wary of the Everton attack. Um, and I think you know having uh, Anderson, Tosin, and um, Aina the back three with either Tete or Bobby on the right, and then uh, Robinson on the left. Then Reed obviously if he's fit uh, alongside I. I go Angisa. I think you know if he's maybe he was getting he was tiring a bit. Maybe he's still sort of thinking the effects of COVID. But I think on his day, he's a player that you need in the team. And I would have uh, Mitro back up top, looking on the left. And you know, I appreciate you sort of a lot of people don't like Loftus Cheek. I think he does add something to our game, and I think his strength and his uh, you know his driving uh, style of play. I think he is sort of he is important to how we do uh, move forward, but we need someone in the area in you know in the box to finish the, the chances. And I think Mitro he he needs to start putting you know putting them away. It's only got to be a matter of time, isn't it? I mean, he's a natural goal scorer. He's been on a barren run for so long now that at some point it's got to snap. And I think you know you need to start putting him in there. And then we have Magic to come off the bench. So I mean, I am going for that three four three that we've been playing in the past just because of Everton's, uh, you know, play up front. Um, but, you know, I thought the four, the four at the back did work, but I don't think in this game it is particularly suitable. So. I would disagree. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, the four in the back <laughs> is actually a better formation for us right now, just because it, it's, it's a more even keel as far as what we've got across the back for defense. And if we go with like the four, two, three, one formation, You've got basically you can easily drop, uh, which we have done here several times. You could easily drop more into six almost across the back because you've got the likes of Angisa, Lamina, Harrison Reed, or you know whoever Tede or Bobby uh, Reed actually has been dropping way back and helping for that. So I would like to stay consistent going forward, at least with the matches. If we're going to be more attacking, okay, then I'd go with the three in the back because we have more people we can push up into the uh, the midfield. If we're going to be more defensive-minded, I'd rather stick with four across the back, two holding guys that can drop back in and help uh, defend. But that's me. No, I, I get it. I mean, I just think when you're facing Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Rodriguez, if you know if he is fit, or Decore, whoever it may be, I think having those three at the back, concentrating on those players, and then allowing... Tete or Bobby and Robinson to push more forward, not have to sort of lessen their attacking game by having to drop back constantly, then I think it just allows us to play slightly more fluid and with a bit more freedom because you know that those three at the back are going to do a fairly, well, you know, touch wood, going to do a fairly uh, solid job. But I think, you know, this is why people were calling for the four at the back for games when we were you know, should have a better chance. I think Everton are a really good team. And I think this is a game that calls for three stroke five at the back. So, but that's just my opinion. So, that's what the game's all awesome. about. It's all about opinions. And unfortunately, the man whose opinion counts is Scott Parker. I don't mean that. I don't mean unfortunately. I just mean that we we can't influence it. That's all I mean. I like Scott Parker. I I desperately don't want him to go, but I'm bored of his football and um, and I'm bored of the results. And as a human being and as a person, I really like him. But as a football manager, there's a huge question mark for me at the moment. Um, but anyway, let's 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 keep going and let's see. I mean, this this next week is really telling for us because if he comes away and gets four points from Everton away, Burnley away, two places where we never get anything ever, then fair play to him. But I just can't see it. And I think this I think this weekend will be a two nil defeat. I can't see a scoring at Goodison and um I, I think they're they're too good for us. What about you, Borgs? Oh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a one all. I think I just trying to be optimistic. I don't think we can win there. Um but I think we've got it in us. I think we've got the fight in us to be able to get a draw. But I mean I'm being pretty optimistic here. Okay, I admire your optimism, uh, Don. I, I actually, I, I'm. I've told everybody online. I'm. I'm trying to stay as optimistic, optimistic as I can. I'm going to stick with Morgs. I'm really hoping for a draw. 
uh, whether it's zero zero one one, I'm hoping for a draw. That draw is no good to us, though, is it? I know it's not. I know it's not. But you know, against these better teams, you know, you'd at least hope to get a point. You know, yeah. we'll get the three points where we can. And you know, you're there are teams like this that we do need to somehow slip three points out of. So, you know, knock on wood, maybe this will be with that, that match and it'll it'll happen. But I got a feeling it's a draw. Okay. Well, I hope you're right. So I think before we go, um, after what happened at the cottage at the end of the game on Saturday with uh, the red card and, and Mike Dean, um, it's been it's been a difficult week. Um, certainly for Mike Dean, but you know the, the world we live in at the moment is, isn't particularly pleasant. Um, Don, I think you wanted to just uh, you just wanted to come in with a with a quick word about Mike Dean. Yeah, you know, I would just say I, I feel for the guy and I feel for the refs right now. And you know, a lot of this goes back to uh, you know the times that we live in where everything is instant. You know, we can get instant results on our phones and the internet of what's going on, the games, everything like that. We can watch you know, the replays of matches over and over in the slowest of motions to where we nitpick the shit out of it to death, you know. And I was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago, and they said, Don, it's it's no worse what these death threats that Mike Dean got than back in the day, somebody walked in the pub and said, that that ref was just shit. I, I, I'd like to kill him. And I disagree. I completely disagree. It's completely different nowadays because nowadays these people are going on to their the Mike Dean and his family's personal accounts and they're sending vile things, you know, and death threats. And that is completely different than a person going in a pub and saying some offhand thing. I I I think that ref should be killed or shot or whatever it is, you know. So I just if you're that guy who is so over the top that you got to do something like that, you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, what the hell is wrong with yourself? Because there is definitely a problem there in my mind. I'm sorry. I just, I see no reason for it, no need for it. And it just really, it really got under my skin when I read the next day about all the stuff that him and his family have had to deal with. So my heart goes out to him and, and, you know, referees that have to make those decisions. We need them, whether we like them or not. Otherwise we're just not going to have any good refs or refs at all. To, you know, well, walk over ref- these games uh, without referees. I mean, we don't have football, do we? Exactly. And but this is this is the reason why um, the amount of referees in at grassroots level has tanked over the years because they are literally threatened week in week out. And when you get to you know the quality <clears throat> that it takes to be a Premier League referee, you know you've put in the hard yards. You've you know Mike Dean's been in the game for years, decades. Um, he probably you know should have retired at some point but at the end of the day he loves it and he's he is a very good referee i mean yes his some of his uh, decisions are a little bit um you know questionable and i think certainly saturday's was but no ref deserves that i don't it's the problem is there are so many idiots out there hiding behind keyboards who just type something which they you know they may laugh about to their mates you know well not down the pub at the moment but they'll laugh to their mates about and without really thinking of the effects they'll have on a referee or anyone it's like you know it's quite similar to the racism that's going around because it's coming around on twitter people hiding behind fake pictures of themselves with nothing to identify them apart from an ip address which they probably hidden or whatever and it's just it's fucking disgusting because there is absolutely no need for it you know it spoils everything for people and it's no it's never going to achieve anything apart from hopefully getting someone um you know punished for it because the quicker they find out who these people are and deal with them, maybe they can start stamping it out because there is no point there. There is no reason for it. It's just awful. It's one thing being at a football match and, you know, maybe having a drink, maybe not having a drink, but having had a stressful week, you go along and you want to blow off some steam with your mates and you want to shout, you want to sing. And it's a high intense intensity environment, isn't it? A a football match. (laughs) very full of emotion and you don't know you, you, you sat in the Hammersmith end there's a decision that goes against you up the other end everybody complains as if they could see it perfectly from 80 yards away but even still you still have a go at the ref you call him all the names under the sun the referees are wanker this that and the other but time and a place in a football stadium having a go at somebody 
in the heat of the moment in that kind of way you know you're not you're not being overly offensive you're just telling him he's made a shit decision and letting him know and that's that's always been part of the game and that shouldn't be taken away from the game in my opinion in that in that situation but then to come home and to dig out somebody's family it's just stupid it's absolute nonsense Stop. It. I mean, I don't. These people are doing it. You know, it's, it's a bit cliche to say it, but they're not real football fans because real football fans know that the game stays at the ground. The yeah. decision stays there. You don't take it out after that. It's a bit like all these, you know, all the Liverpool fans having a go at Pickford and saying that you know criminal charges should be brought against him for his tackle on Van Dyke. They're not real sort of football fans because they don't, you know, they're not understanding the game. They're exactly. just saying things because it's so easy just to type it, and you're, you know, you're not held accountable for anything you type. But I mean, obviously, it's starting to change, but it's you know at you know glacial pace. These sort of things need to be stamped out, and they need to be stamped out now because it's getting out of hand. Because people are at home, they're bored, they're just doing all sorts of crap, and it doesn't matter if it's referees, players, whatever. This is you know. As long as you bring in anything to do that isn't their performance, if you bring families, colour, whatever into it, it's it's not about football. Anymore. And that's where the fun of it. Anyway, I, I just wanted to let everybody know, I think we all here at Fulham Focus are behind Mike Dean and, you know, feel bad for him and his family. One thing uh, I would just a quick question for you, too. I'm just curious about uh, change of subject here so we don't end on uh, such a sour note. Um I think I read you guys might be able to get back in the stands soon. Is that right? Depending no, on the right. tiers you're in? We're not, even allowed, out, we're not even allowed out of the house. We're not even allowed out of the house, mate. So I think you've misread. I, think you've no, I thought it was like beginning of March or something. They were talking. This well, could the, 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 you know, there's a chance we might be allowed out of the house by then. Because I thought sure like the FFT, I thought the Fulham Trust was actually already talking to uh, Fulham and everything about how different – changes might happen with the way the lottery runs for you guys to be able to get uh match tickets maybe at some point but not at the moment mate not no, no moment. We're, st- we're, we're stuck at home we're 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 uh, okay. under lock and key for now it's again shocking. i guess i was looking for any hope for you guys i was reaching for straws <laughs> <laughs> no <Nah>, sorry <there's> nothing. <laughs> well i said at the beginning it was going to be a different show and it definitely has been it hasn't been your, your standard sort of preview show has it there's there's been all sorts so Fair play. I think I think we've done an all right job there, guys. That's your lot for now, though, folks. I'll be back on Monday morning, and I'll be joined by Ben and Will to look back over the Everton game. So I'll see you all then. Cheers. Cheers.